1: Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.
5: Tuesday morning, the 19th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The number of new families presenting to homeless services in Dublin dropped by 36% in the last three months of last year compared to the last quarter of 2017. That drop of 36% follows a change in policy to prioritise the homeless for social housing and saw eight percent fewer families presenting as homeless in the six months from June to December compared to the same period for the year previous. The Irish Times reports this morning that the decision to stop giving homeless families priority for housing was to discourage prolonged stays in emergency accommodation. The paper quotes uh, the Council's Head of Housing Brendan Kenny as saying the idea is to encourage families to rent independently with enhanced financial and social support. It comes on foot of the comments made by the chief executive of the council to the Sunday Business Post in which he claimed that homeless services are an attractive option for people and that people choose to present as homeless to local authorities after a massive investment in services. He said if you make better quality accommodation and better services available people are more likely to access those services. Uh, There's been a lot of people who have taken exception to those comments. Ono Brin, Sinn Féin's spokesperson Person on housing planning and local government is one of those he joins us uh, this morning and thank you indeed for joining us uh, what do you make of uh, the data that uh, the irish times is reporting on which was given to councillors as I understand it from the article in the paper this morning from the housing department
6: so there, there, there's some very confusing um uh, uh details in the irish times story today so keep in mind dublin has four local authorities not one uh, and Brendan Kenny is only speaking for one of those. The other three local authorities didn't make any change to their homeless priority. Uh, and, and therefore the way in which the Irish Times is presenting the story isn't isn't really factually accurate. It is absolutely the case uh, that across the Dublin local authorities there has been a dip in the number of families presenting as homeless. Although keep in mind the total number of families in emergency accommodation is still higher now than it was this time last year. We We, we clearly don't know what the reason for it is. Dublin City Council did end their homeless priority. Uh, My own local authority says Dublin didn't end it, Uh, and it's not clear whether the decision of Dublin City has had an impact or not. But I suppose, but thirty six percent. But the really important thing Mm. to 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 remember is this: there are more families in emergency accommodation throughout the four Dublin local authorities today Mm. than there were this time last year. And in some senses, that's the figure that we really need to focus on and see how we can reduce it. What's also the case is, and Dublin City Council is is in the same position as the other local authorities in Dublin. The length of time people are staying in emergency accommodation is still too long. Uh, And we have families who are spending in excess of two, and in some cases, particularly for larger families, three years in emergency accommodation. Uh, And that obviously has its own challenges as well.
5: But when you compare three months from one year to three months from the year previous and you see a drop of 36 percent in terms of the number of new families who are presenting, well, then it begs questions, doesn't it? And if it coincides with a change of policy of that sort, uh, it's not rocket science to conclude that at, le- at least some of them uh, that, that were, were uh, staying in emergency accommodation in the hope that they'd have been prioritized.
6: No, I, I don't accept that at all. And in fact, in the two months after the homeless priority ended in Dublin City Council, the number of families presenting increased significantly. So I, I would just urge caution. It's mm. very important that when we have these discussions, uh, we have a very evidence-based discussion. Uh, and certainly the evidence I'm looking looking at in Dublin City is that immediately after priority was ended, uh, for nothing, no reason to do with the change mm-hmm. in policy, the number of presentations increased. We do often see a seasonal dip around December and January, often as families kind of rally around and try and do the best they can to keep their families uh, mm-hmm. out of emergency accommodation. Mm-hmm. But I, I I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that the Irish Times journalist has done or indeed that Brendan Kenney seems to be doing in his report to councillors. Well, I'm
5: not sure that the Irish Times journalist did jump to a conclusion, uh, to be fair, uh, because uh, I thought uh, it was a fairly factual report and looked at uh, the figures and uh, seemed to to uh, be indicating that there was a, a, a slow change of perception. Uh, Olivia Kelly's story says that the figure for the six months is 8% down and for the last three months, 36% down.
6: Yeah, and, and I'm not disputing those figures. What I'm saying is, to then make the next uh, assumption that that's because of a change of policy six months ago. All I have to say is I think it's far too early to say that. And again, I I, I repeat the point, in the two months after the homeless priority in Dublin city uh, was introduced, Mm. the number of families presenting increased. But let's also not forget, we have three other local authorities in Dublin, all who have seen broadly similar trends, but who didn't change their homeless priority policy uh, and still allocate uh, on the basis of homeless priority. So I think the picture is a little bit more complex than the article is presenting.
5: All right. uh, Well, what about uh, the comments uh, that Mr. Keegan made? Uh, They follow on from what Conor Skeen uh, said previously about people gaming uh, the system. Uh, Do you think that there is any merit in that?
6: Well, first of all, when, when Owen Keegan made his, his initial comments on the Business Post, I, I met him and was genuinely very, very surprised. His, his argument was that because they have improved the quality of emergency accommodation for families in Dublin City, which they have, that somehow emergency accommodation, to use his words, was now an attractive option for people. And then when he went down to the Sean O'Rourke show yesterday uh, on RTE, he kept talking about homeless families having choices. now. I don't know what your direct experience of homeless families are, but I work with homeless families every day of the week, um, and I have never met a homeless family that has a choice. The whole reality of homelessness is that you lose your home and therefore you have nowhere to go by the local authority to present for emergency accommodation. Local authorities here in, in the four Dublin areas uh, have a very rigorous threshold that you have to pass through to be accepted into emergency accommodation. You have to prove that you're homeless through a notice to quit, or a referral from a social worker, an affidavit, etc., and we know that the, the vast majority of families presenting as homeless are presenting because they've received uh, vacant possession notices to quit from private mm-hmm. sector landlords. So those people have no choice, uh, uh, unless, of course, it's the choice of sleeping on the streets or presenting for emergency accommodation. You Owen know, also kind of made a comment yesterday that uh, 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 some families in view, in Dublin City uh, were reluctant to move out of emergency accommodation uh, until they got a permanent long term council home. Now, again, You know, I've spent some time in emergency accommodation and seen what the hubs and hotels are like. Uh, 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 Be cramped in inappropriate conditions Mm. in in those facilities. Place huge strain on families and huge burdens on children. Uh, And I've never met a family who would choose to stay in that any longer. There is a particular problem in Dublin City that we don't have elsewhere in the county, which Dublin City penalises people effectively when they go into the housing assistance payment because it adds years onto their uh, eventual council allocation. We don't do that out here in South Dublin County Council. If you go into HAP, you will still eventually get a council house within the same period of time you would ordinarily got. And I've been urging the Department of Housing for some time to to remove that peculiarity in Dublin City Council and a couple of other areas. Because if the council officials do believe HAP is a disincentive to leaving Mm. emergency accommodation, and I'm not convinced it is, then the easiest way to deal with that is remove the additional years you'll add on to somebody's council allocation. at are, are, are you not it's making double.
5: the same point that Owen Keegan was making, perhaps in a, a different way, but fundamentally no, what, the same point I, that people are, are what, turning down the uh, what, uh, opportunity what, to what, move into rented accommodation because what, if they go on to HAP, they go further down the waiting list.
6: What, what I'm saying is, I don't believe that's a feature of the system, but if Owen Keegan believes it is, and if he has evidence of it, I'm saying that there is a better solution uh, 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 than penalising families. And you see, again, this goes back to, to his idea of choice. Like, I've worked with some families who, through no fault of their own, have ended up in emergency accommodation twice because of the crisis in the rental market. Uh, and if that family is 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 being told that private rental is the only alternative for them, if they've already landed in emergency accommodation with their children twice, mm. you can see their reluctance. But if those families understand very clearly uh, that there will be no uh, uh, disadvantaging of them as to when they will otherwise get their regular council house. Mm. If there is a a perverse incentive in the system, I don't believe there is, Owen Keegan says there is, but if there is, do in Dublin City what we do in South Dublin because we certainly don't have that problem out in this county.
5: Okay, so you agree with him in that sense then?
6: Absolutely not. He's saying that this is a feature Mm. of the system. I'm saying I've seen no evidence of it. But if he has evidence of it, first of all I'd like to see it, but I haven't seen it, but there is a better way to deal with that if it is a problem. And again, I go back uh, to the point. Okay. In South Dublin County Council, where I am, we don't have uh, this problem. And I know our, our council's figures much more intimately than those Dublin cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the reasons is because if you are in emergency accommodation uh, and if you go into HAP, it has no impact on when you will eventually get a council property. And that's the way it should be right across the country.
5: Mm. Uh, OK, but uh, at the same time, I'm sure you'd welcome uh, for... Uh, a change to be able to look at a, a drop in the number of homeless. Uh, in this sense, it's the new families who presented as homeless of thirty six percent. It is a, a dramatic drop, uh, and if that is the reason, well, then it, it surely needs exploring.
6: Well, t- t- two, two things I would say. Again, I go back to the fact that I made at the start of the interview. We have more people in emergency accommodation today than we had this time last year. Mm. We've also had the very controversial removal of families from the housing lists, including in 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 Lao's uh, in your own catchment area, over the last 12 months. So I've actually done and published independent research looking at all of the government figures from different government departments. And in fact, the number of adults and children in emergency accommodation at the moment is much closer to 13,000, not the just under 10,000 that the government is reporting. Uh, there was a drop in in the number of families presenting at the end of last year in comparison to the year before. All I'd say is, is we don't have a, a, a enough of a period to see is that a permanent decline, and if it is, I will welcome it uh, wholeheartedly, or is it a seasonal dip that might start to run up again, and we just have to wait and see. I hope it's a permanent decline, and I hope we see the numbers go down month and month. But again, I say we have more people in emergency accommodation today than a year ago. And that's really the, the figure that matters more than anything else.
5: And what about people who are offered a council house and turn it down, and then are offered a council house and turn it down again?
6: Well, the current situation in all local authorities is if somebody refuses a second offer of accommodation, a file is suspended for 12 months. Mm. Now, there there are a range of reasons why somebody might refuse... Uh, And in my experience, uh, the vast majority of cases where people refuse an offer of accommodation is for very legitimate reasons. It could be proximity to public transport, to get to and from schools or or, or places of work. Uh, I've had cases where families who have children with special needs, who need to remain in a catchment area for a school that has a special autism unit, for example, are are offered a property at the other end of our, our county. Clearly inappropriate. So some local authorities I don't accept are as sensitive to the needs of families as they should be. Uh, And therefore, I think we need to have a a more flexible approach. Clearly, if somebody is rejecting properties for no legitimate reason, Mm. then a 12-month suspension is legitimate of their file. Not a five-year suspension. But The the proposition that you would have a five-year suspension is not only draconian, but it actually also ignores, again, a much better way of tackling this problem. So again, South Cumberland County Council, where I am, The council by and large doesn't make offers of accommodation. The standard list is done through an online system called choice-based letting. Every Friday, the properties that are available are put on the system and families express an interest to say, yes, I would take that property. And then whoever's longest on the list gets it. The great value of choice-based letting is it removes the kind of the the slow pace of of offers. uh, And it gives families on the list a little bit of element of choice, which I think is a legitimate thing to have. uh, our councillors in Meath County Council have actually tabled a motion, not only condemning the, the proposed five-year uh, suspension, but calling on Meade County Council to introduce choice-based letting as a matter of urgency. It's been government policy since 2009, Rebuilding Ireland promised to introduce it into all local authorities over the lifetime of the plan. Currently, only 16 local authorities have it, uh, and Meath unfortunately doesn't. I'm not so sure about loud. But it is very efficient. It speeds up allocations. And I would say this, you know, some people say, oh, but council applicants should take whatever they're offered. Just because somebody's a low-income family doesn't mean they shouldn't have some level of choice and choice-based letting is both efficient and fair uh, and I'd like to see it in every local authority in the country as would our councillors in,
5: in Meath and Louth. Alright well we'll uh, undoubtedly be hearing more of uh, the concerns uh, that you and others have for as long as uh, this problem continues and it looks set to, to continue for some time to come we leave it there for the moment though and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Sinn Féin's uh, spokesperson on housing planning and local government is Ono Brim Michael,
3: Michael Reid on, on LMFM
5: The Irish Examiner reports today on what it says are confidential minutes of uh, the Joint Construction and Finance Subcommittee of uh, the National Paediatric Hospital Development Board of uh, the 30th of August last year, which show serious unease about uh, escalating costs at the hospital. And the paper is reporting today that an attempt to clamp down on negative publicity began last August. This was when uh, the scale of uh, the overall on became apparent to those involved and that this meeting took place just three days after the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, was told of a potential overspend of 391 million euro. Let's talk about this uh, with Fianna Fáil TD for me, Thomas Byrne, who's come in to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you. Morning, Michael. Fianna Fáil is planning to abstain in the vote tomorrow. Uh, does this make any difference?
7: Well, I mean, look, this this is part of our obligations under the Conference Supply Agreement. I mean, this has been discussed long and hard, publicly, privately, within the party, outside the party. Uh, It's an extremely difficult situation, uh,
5: to be perfectly frank. There was a concerted effort, it would seem, from this report, to keep you in the dark.
7: Well, I I made that allegation myself last week when I was on your show. Mm. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, what what, what it seems to be is a PR-first strategy, and that's entirely throughout this government in relation to absolutely everything that they do. Um, So that's that's the big worry about it. And also, uh, Simon Harris said that at that time... He decided to see, could cost be reduced? Now, according to these reports, we'd have to press them on this, it Mm. seemed the cost couldn't be reduced. So what was he talking about? It's impossible to believe that this wasn't uh, spread or explained to the rest of the government. But also at this time as well, you know, Fine Gael figures, including Simon Harris, were, you know, uh, said in the media to be pushing for an election. And Mm. it's beginning to make sense. The one thing that's certain is that there is going to be an election. Uh, We are still in the democracy. The only question is when. What's keeping us in at the moment in, in the confidence supply agreement is is Brexit and only Brexit. Were it not for brec- bre- Brexit, uh, we may well be having an election next week. Mm. Uh, that's the reality of it. And we will see where Brexit takes us. No one would thank Fianna Fáil or anybody else for causing an election at this particular point. In mm. fact, if we voted against Simon Harris and the doll tomorrow, you can be damn sure Leo Varadkar would go to the park and straight away blame Fianna Fáil for destabilising the country. And we think that it is important to keep. Uh, the government's stable, contrasted with England, the, the chaos over there and the severe economic damage. And they're not making fools
5: out of you. I mean, Catherine Chenaghan...
7: Sorry, they're making fools out of themselves, Michael. Cat, that's ca- that's what's
5: happening. Catherine report the Irish Examiner today says that 25 people attended that meeting and signed a confidentiality agreement. In other words, they agreed to say nothing it's to keep you in the dark. Do you think Simon Harris but knew? But I'm no
7: fool. I knew this. I said this to you. Two weeks ago, Michael. So I, there's no one fooling us. We know what's going on. What this is doing is now confirming the way that Finnegall operate in government. I mean, the idea that public officials or directors or members of the committee would sign confidentiality documents is absolutely extraordinary, a- and I would say is unprecedented. There already are professional, um, you know, rules on confidentiality if you're a professional or state secrets if it's a state secret. But never has this happened before. So look, there's going to be an election at some point. This this would be trashed out in it. In the meantime, we've Brexit. We, we we need to keep the country stable. Mm-hmm. We see what happened in Swindon yesterday. Honda are closing and there's no doubt there is a Brexit connection there Nissan at risk as well. We don't want to bring that same instability to this country but we're talking a matter of weeks or months uh, at this particular junction juncture and it, were it not for Brexit I would be sitting here with other candidates for a general election. I have mm. absolutely no doubt about that but it is frustrating. I think Fine Gael are showing themselves to be the fools that they are. They're not making a fool out of us um, in the way that they operate they, they, and I've said this before. Their focus doesn't seem to be on governance; it seems to be on PR and making announcements. And they, you know, all during that time as mm. well, uh, when all of this was going on, uh, they were launching the national capital plan. There were roadshows going on. They were, we're going to build this. We're going to build that. What about the end to uh, to Kilmoon? Mm. I found out, you know, two weeks ago in the Doll uh, that that's not guaranteed, even though it's in the national capital plan. And there's a lot of other projects uh, that are there that people are depending on that have been promised by Finogale that are simply a mirage. And let's hope the children's hospital is in the mirage uh, that other projects are. But it certainly is a basket case and a, and a sinkhole, literally, uh, of, of, of taxpayers' money.
5: Right. As I say, 25 people signed that confidentiality agreement. I'd just like to read one paragraph from Catherine Shanahan's report. It says, the information was to be kept within the group so that no one knew outside of the people that need to know. Did Fianna Fáil need to know?
7: I think everybody needs to know that. But certainly, first of all, the Cabinet needed to know and the Minister of Health. And I have no doubt that they knew. I mean, I, I cannot accept that when that amount of people in the public sector uh, setting know, notwithstanding any agreements that they signed... Mm. Uh, that, that the Cabinet wouldn't have known. I mean, really we is to, cloak and dagger, isn't it? It's unbelievable. And mm. we did need to know, actually, as the main opposition party negotiating with the budget. I mean, they mm. keep saying that the capital budget is multi-annual and mm. it doesn't really matter. But actually, the capital budget changed in the last budget. It changed last week because of the Children's Hospital. Uh, so that changes all the time. So we were kept in the dark uh, in the run-up to the budget. And the Irish people were kept in the dark. It's not all about Fianna Fáil taking offence. We're mm. sitting there hoping that we get into government uh, the next time that election is. And Michael, we're very impatient to get into government, we just don't think it's the right time at the moment. Um, But... Uh, they kept us in the dark, they kept the people of Ireland in the dark and they will have to, Fine Gael will have to answer for this uh, at the election I and mean, we saw the absolute obsession with spin when they set up a, a, a unit that we had to expose over many months which finally closed down uh, the spin unit at the heart of the Taoiseach's department when the Taoiseach was saying, communi- mm. Taoiseach said communications were a virtue but the only communications that the Taoiseach did about the children's hospital were glossy ads on Facebook, videos of himself and Simon Harris and other Fine Gael ministers you know, cutting uh, cutting ribbons and, and, mm. and turning sods etc. Spending Spending money, but they didn't give us the actual information Mm. uh, about this, and that's 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 the problem. When they were communicating, it was communicating an image of themselves. Mm. Rather than communicating information for the citizens and taxpayers of this
5: country, I mean, should we be ordering hotels for you now to take the egg off your face? Uh, because no you're egg. sitting there, there, there no looking egg. very foolish. There is no egg on my face, Michael. I mm. said se- I, I mm. knew this was going on, not in the but, details But you're in the accepting it. But you are I'm not it's accepting it. But you're going. You're, you're going to abstain it. in the vote tomorrow. I'm not accepting it, Michael. Mike, I, Michael Harty is going to vote my, my, against my, Simon Harris he,
7: he may well and, and that's a matter of well you said he will and if, 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 if well we've seen we'll see what happens mm. in the vote but if Fine Gael can't hold it together themselves by the way we're only one mm. part of this if mm. they don't have the numbers themselves to beat the rest of the combined opposition mm. then there's an election and it'll be their responsibility not ours what well, we've said from Fianna Fáil's point of view and Michael I accept this is frustrating for our supporters mm. they're telling me this Met, I was at knocking doors with our candidate, Mr Mullen, Lisa Mellor, yesterday, mm. and strong Fianna Fail voters saying, "Look, we're really frustrated with this. What are you doing? When when is this government going to change?" Mm. And we, we say very clearly, we made a decision to stay in. For Brexit, not to have instability, but we are anxious and impatient mm. to get into government, Michael, and that's what we want to do, and that's what Fina do. But the do.
5: reason people are frustrated is that they believe you're endorsing this.
7: We're not. We are not endorsing it, Michael. I've you're allowing highly, it highly, by, by not stopping I, Michael, it. You're sorry, allowing it. We we couldn't stop that last August because mm. no one told us about it. We're finding out about it now yeah. when it's mm. too late. But you're allowing that. You're, you're you're allowing but the we, people. We, we, we are we are not allowing it. They they who they kept um, everybody. Well, well, the if dark. we have anything to do with it, they will have a matter of months left left in office. That's mm. the reality of it.
5: If of they much. were cutting pensions or, or uh, something like that, I mean, would you be saying the same thing? Oh, well, Brexit is such a, a big issue that we can't force an election. We are
7: not going to force an election like, between is there, now and uh, Brexit. Uh, there is, there is no, nothing actually. There's no red line issue. Not until Brexit. Brexit is on the 29th night of March. It may be extended for a few months. Mm. That's not in our control. But we think that the, the damage and in instability that's been done to the United Kingdom at the moment could, will, may well damage us anyway. Mm. But we in fail don't want to add to that, and we don't think that. It, like, like, let's be honest. I mean, if you list out the reasons over the last number of years that many people, including one or two Fianna Fáil TDs, gave for calling an mm. election, there's a long list of things that mm. you challenged me on and rightly mm. so at the time. Why are Fianna Fáil well, not going th- now? But if you look back mm, at them now, yeah. now this is much bigger in scale, mm. I accept that, but there's a wide range of very minor issues in retrospect mm. as to why we, it was suggested to us to call an election over the last number of years. Now, what we're saying is that there's a very, very major issue at the moment, and that's mm. Brexit. And Fianna Fáil is not okay. going to do anything to destabilise this country. But, but, and but, that is, By the way, that's not the type of governance we will engage in when we get into government if we get the support of the Irish people. But Peter.
5: Fianna Fáil doing nothing to destabilise the country means allowing Finnegale to do whatever it wants Lucia O'Farrell was on the programme last week asking why Michal Martin is sitting on his hands and not asking for a public inquiry into the death of her son Shane uh, we've uh, all of these issues that are going on all of the time uh, and now we have this issue with the National Children's Hospital and it seems as though whilst you were in partnership with we, the Finnegan we administration, not in partnership. We well, not, we well, not in partnership. well, you had this
7: uh, agreement with. We're not in partnership. And I've, okay. when, you, when you mentioned the CEO Farrell, I do want to pay tribute to her and her. her. She's mm. such a lovely woman to talk to. I've spoke mm. to her on the phone myself and has been through so much and ex- has exposed so much. But there were Fianna Fáil motions in the, the Shannon in relation to mm. to herself, and,
5: and that's the point she made. She yeah. said it was Jim O'Callaghan's motion in the yeah. first yeah, yeah, instance, and, and now um, it's being ignored. It,
7: there are steps taken and yeah. not, it's mm-hmm. not, but Michael it's not what we would do if we were in government Fine Gael will have to answer for mm. why they're not doing that they are the ones in power unfortunately Michael unfortunately they got more votes than us the last election that's mm. the reality we didn't get enough we got a lot more than we expected we want to get those extra votes in the next election to be in power and then we by the way anything we do now or say now that's what we're saying we could do that if we were in government we could do a better job We won't. we won't put PR all politicians can be accused of PR and putting you know trying to get a media message out but what's happening here is that the PR has absolutely overtaken the governance and the running of the country.
5: Okay, uh, what do you think will happen tomorrow?
7: I don't know we, we will abstain as Fianna Fáil TDs mm. and if Fine Gael can't hold it together in terms of M- Dr Michael Harty and any others then mm. that's a matter for them they will have to explain that why they brought uh, this instability to the country they will also have to explain the children's hospital debacle
5: to the public at the election there's no doubt about that mm. and Simon Harris will have to explain himself Will Michael Harty be allowed to stay within the independent alliance? Uh, you're I, I couldn't care less Michael Well I, you're agreeing you can't vote against the minister I, I, I have absolutely no interest in well, that but our, our uh, conference, but Friday under the agreement to, that you have
7: No our agreement is mm. that we will abstain Okay. Yeah. If they don't have the numbers to to sustain that themselves, if they can't get a majority with us abstaining, then the whole thing is off, and that's on that's on them. It's nothing to do with us, and then it would, li- would likely be an election. But it wouldn't be anything to do with Fianna Fáil. We would be sticking honourably to the commitments that we gave, uh, that we, we stuck to. And we think that's very, very important, because actually in mm. the last election you would have challenged me about what would you do post-election, who would you mm. win the coalition but mm. We stuck to those honourably. We're sticking to our agreements honourably now. Okay. And I can tell yeah. you this, if we say something before the election in a manifesto, we'll stick to that honourably if in government after the election. That's the mm. commitment we're giving to the Irish people.
5: Okay. okay, and if Simon Harris is to lose the vote tomorrow... Surely, if Radcliffe
7: will have to call an election, and that's mm. it, and it certainly won't be Fianna Fáil's fault, and that would bring massive uh, instability to mm. this country. And what will it say about Fianna Fáil? Though? It'll say that we stuck to our commitments. The rest of them couldn't get their act together, and we would get our act together. Then we would have to get our, uh, prepare for an election. That, but mm. that would be somebody else would have brought that. Spectators. Out, not us. We're not. We, sorry, Michael. If if, if that ensued, mm. I think it was highly. It's highly likely that we would get sufficient support to go into government, and we'd be delighted to do that. But we think, in the meantime, if Gael brought that instability in this country in terms of collapsing their own government, as mm. they by the way, as they tried to do last August, around the time this was happening, the Children's Hospital debacle, around the time these secret talks and confidentiality agreements were happening, mm. Simon Harris and others were reported to be in the paper, uh, in the papers as looking for an early general election. We now know why. They were willing to bring that instability in the country to cover up uh, what was going on here. We're yeah. not willing to bring instability in the country. But if they can't keep their own numbers together tomorrow in the Dáil, that's on them.
5: And would you be willing to enter into some agreement with Fine Gael again in the future?
7: Well, well, we'll set out all of that during the general election campaign, Michael. But, been, but, no, but I, we, I mean, you're we, sitting here this morning telling us... I you're want to be very, clear, morning, to be very clear, Michael. We want to be in government. We want to be... Regardless. Running the like country. With we, want to, we want to change... We, we want. First of all, we want to get... We want to people get who,
5: who, who pull the wool over your eyes... We we want instead
7: of them. We want to be in government instead of Gael. That's the reality of but, it, Michael. But, so. but the reality is that but whoever whoever. By the way, we are in opposition. That, we don't. Make that these is most decisions. likely we a are desi- not party. yes, but that is most likely a party. decision. If if
5: Simon Sorry. Harris loses the vote tomorrow and it forces a general election, or if there's one in the coming months, uh, then you will be in a position Look, of Ma- Michael. We are having to decide whether you can continue to work with people who are very, very happy. Difficult. It seems to pull the it's, wool over your eyes difficult. and laugh at you. We are we
7: are not party. Uh, to covering up this, to signing confidential agreements on the ch- on the Children's Hospital. We are not party to spending millions of taxpayers' money on the, the government's spin unit. We are not party uh, to not revealing this information to the public at the budget time. We would do d- uh, things differently. And those who are responsible, which is the Fine Gael government, Simon Harris and Leo Radcliffe, those questions have to be asked of them, why they did that. And they've been very, very quiet, many of the representatives over the last couple of weeks, but they won't be able to be quiet if there's an election called. But Fianna Fáil are sticking honourably to our commitments. It's extremely difficult we, we said there would be an election, but for Brexit. Brexit is going to happen very, very quickly, and who knows what will happen after okay. that. But it won't be Fianna Fáil uh, that will be doing the damage to the country. Fianna Gael need
5: to keep their act together. All right, we'll leave there. Thanks for coming in to us uh, this morning, as always. Fianna Fáil TD for me, East Thomsburn.
3: Michael Reed on
5: on LMFM Now uh, we'll talk about exclusion zones outside of abortion providers uh, with Emma Coffey who's a Fianna Fáil councillor as you've uh, been hearing. A motion has been put to the council, uh, the executive is uh, to seek advice on uh, the legality of introducing these measures as bylaws Emma, tell us uh, about the advice you have on this because we've been hearing about a national approach and the difficulty that Simon Harris has in introducing uh, these type of measures and uh, that the draft legislation may be in front of the actors going into the summer, it may be after the recess and it could be the autumn or the end of the year before the government can do this nationally. So how is it that you think you can do it locally?
3: Well uh, I'm basing the, the motion on the bylaws uh, Section 199 of the Local Government Act uh, that councils have the power to institute a, a wide way, a number of wide-ranging uh, bylaws in relation to it um, under this particular act. It's quite a wide-ranging and uh, you know, it's quite a long mm. <laughs> uh, thing but it, it basically says you know, where it is in the opinion it is desirable in the interest of the common good of local community that any nuisance should be controlled or suppressed by a bylaw and there's the prohibition of any activity, matter, or thing. Now, um, par- mm. I'm giving you a yep. number of mm-hmm. them, but there's mm-hmm. like it's quite detailed, and the conduct of persons at specified places mm. or in specified circumstances. So, and I,
5: you've specified a lot of uh, the have, circumstances and places in your motion, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
3: what I've done, yeah. what what actually, as I, I indicated to you off air, I was here last month discussing this particular issue. Um, And I came out of that interview saying, well, what as councils can we do to protect our county council, Mm. our county residents from this type of behaviour? And so, uh, you know, we have passed in my time in the chamber, we've passed various uh, bylaws um, for street performers, uh, drinking in public spaces, um, dog fouling bylaws, etc. And so I looked at the possibility of is could we bring an exclusion zone proposal of bylaws to the chamber mm-hmm.
5: and you're a phenofol counsel. you have yes. experience in, in that sense but you have your own legal expertise because yes. you're a practicing solicitor and you took third party advice
3: i took p- third party advice from colleagues because uh, obviously mm. you know never be your own counsel is is something that a, a very good uh, colleague of mine said so i i took I, I i approached a number of colleagues um i asked i Gave them, pitched them the the mm. concept of it, gave them the arguments for it, and in fairness to them, they went away and they they looked at certain measures in respect of it, and um, what they said was, it's never been done before, and in our opinion, it's legally sound. Mm.
5: Uh, and are there uh, counter? Uh, measures uh, that could uh, unbalance this. I mean, there's uh, a constitutional entitlement uh, to right to assembly. There is. Uh, there's a right to protest. Uh, there's, there's freedom the of speech and human rights yes. and so and on. And what yeah. I would
3: say to you is in that aspect, um, and, and, and I've looked at, there's no case law of this nature, obviously, here, but I, I have looked at the UK, which Obviously, has the common law system and we generally use a lot of case law to and fro between the two jurisdictions as persuasive argument. Um, Ealing uh, Council in, in the UK last year took a similar bylaw proposal and enacted it uh, for exclusion zones outside Marie Curie centres. Uh, this was challenged to the High Court in the UK under, under the grounds of freedom of expression and freedom to protest under the Human Rights uh, Convention, EU Human Rights mm. Convention. And in fact, the High Court upheld that, yes, Ealing Council could um, have exclusion zones for the particular purpose that they had outside right. the Marie curry Centre. And
5: is it different, do you believe, because they're bylaws and they are laws pertaining to specific places in a specific county rather than national legislation yes. and a, a banquet ban on, a ban on that type of protest?
3: I don't believe they're adequate uh, and I, I, and I'm not, I never, it was never my intention that this was going to be the solution. Mm. Ideally, I would like the government to bring in national legislation, but that may
5: not be possible and because that, yeah, of constitutional rights and well, so on.
3: And also the timing. I mean, bef- before when I came out of here, the first thing I done was looked at the schedule of legislation that was going to become before the Aractus mm-hmm. for the next twelve months, uh, and it and with Brexit in line, and we have thirty-one pieces of legislation to get through before March if there is a no deal. There is not, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and it's my opinion. Mm-hmm not a hope in hell have we got of getting this type of legislation through. And I, I note that Minister Harris has said last night that he hopes to bring draft legislation before summer. Uh, that's draft. It's not legislation. Mm. So uh, I I proposed this on the basis of it's not going to happen before the May elections. Uh, and I, ma- I made that very clear. Mm. And it wasn't my purpose of it. And the I may local not, elections. Yes, words, yeah. And I may not be in the chamber mm. when this comes back. But I believe within a period of six to eight months, uh, subject to mm. uh, the Chief Executive's legal opinion because at the time when it was passed, she said she wanted to get her own independent legal advice, as I believe she is right to do. Mm. No point to doing all the work if, if there's a, a legal unsounding of mm. it. Um, I, I believe there it's it's sound legally um, but what I, what I would but like... But similar
5: to Ailing, this could be tested through the courts, there could be a High Court action, there could be a Supreme Court action, there could ultimately be a European case.
3: There is, mm. and ultimately She's, mm-hmm. as they say, keeping her house in order by mm-hmm. going and seeking legal independent advice. So I would be, I would be hopeful that that will say yes. There's, there's no reason not to pass this. It will then go to the Joint Police and Commission Committee, sorry, for the enforceability issue, mm-hmm. i.e., how do we enforce it? And then it will go to a Policy Committee to flesh it out. Because I'm not saying this is the finished article. Um, this was my proposal, and I'm quite open to if it has to be amended or it has to be added on, mm. you know, it, it,
5: or replicated or replicate across the country.
3: Well, That could be the national
5: approach, couldn't it?
3: Well, it could be the council's approach. Mm. Each council may take that view or each councillor Mm. may decide, well, I'm actually, you know, it's not uncommon for motions to pass in certain Mm. county councils and then other councillors to take up that motion and present it. Um, And I'm saying to you, if that's what it takes to ensure the protection of of women and their families availing of legal abortion services within this, Mm. within Ireland... Uh, then I think that's how democracy will work Mm. uh, as a stopgap. Our central uh, legislator has, I suppose, uh, and I'm going to, you know, hasn't provided that safeguard. Yeah, and Um, some
5: would say it was remiss to introduce the legislation uh, allowing for uh, abortion services without uh, this type of protection. Uh, And in the meantime, we've seen some protests. We saw that small protest up at, the Lourdes Hospital, and most of the protests have been small and uh, pretty much uh, irrelevant. Uh, but what happened in Longford uh, was most disturbing, and now we have the reports of uh, this American yes. group, uh, the Sidewalk Advocates, uh, coming here and training people and so on.
3: Yes, and I think you know, was a demar- you know, it was a, mm. it was a two to one. It, it, look, it was an overwhelming majority in regards to the people having their democratic voice, um, and I. I I have to make this point. I did not see any protesters outside hospitals when the uh, pregnancy, um, the Protection of Life Mm -hmm. of Pregnancy Act was passed and that to provide abortion in circumstances at exactly the same hospitals um, that these protesters are protesting outside. So. I think it's a, it's a very, uh, you know, I'm not against protest. I'm not against peaceful protest. What I am against is harassment, intimidation. Um, I'm not trying to inv- interfere with anyone's right, but we must ensure that women trying to access abortion service or have made that very difficult decision, that they can do so unhindered and unfettered. Uh, and that is why we need to look at safe zones and the practicality of it. Um I'm certainly not saying this mm. is 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 the solution and the mm. definite solution, um, but what I believe, and I was very, I have to say, I was, I, I thanked my my colleagues who have supported this motion. Uh, it was cross-party support in respect of it. But, but what loud County Council have done is that they have seen that there's a need for this, and and we have stepped up and we have mm. said yes, this is not acceptable, and we will try and do something mm. to protect. And our and citizens. it is a
5: proposal. It's one that that people believe there's merit in, uh, and now it's a question of uh, deciding as to whether it is uh, implementable as such. Uh,
3: implementable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe it's mm. implementable. There's a question of enforceab- enforceability. Mm. There's always a question of enforceability. And yeah. By-laws. Well, whether it's national yeah. legislation uh, 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 of this there, sort or uh, otherwise, yes. uh, but you, bylaws, there's always yeah. that and, mm. that question, and really, you know, it's it's whether. And and that's why I was glad that it went to the joint. Poli- it's mm. going to the joint police and committee because if we can get the Guardian on board um, to to help us mm. facilitate this bylaw implementation, then I think it goes a long way mm. um, that it will work. Uh, I'm I'm looking at this as a staff gap. I'm not looking at this as an in, as an infinite way okay. to deal with it. I would I'm calling on our minister to 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 la- to get national legislation in as quickly as possible. Um, and and you know. It's unfortunate that I, it, mm-hmm. unfortunate, or maybe using my own initiative, I don't know what way it is that I, I took, you know, that I took this motion on board, and, and maybe the or seed that of you felt it. you had to. Yes. All right.
5: Yes. It's most interesting. Uh, thanks uh, for coming in to us uh, this you, morning Marie. as well. That's uh, Fall councillor Emma Coffey. Michael,
3: Michael Reed on, on
4: LMFM.
5: FM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning, to you, Marie.
4: Good morning, Michael, and to all our listeners, Carmel phoned in listening to Thomas Byrne talking to you, Michael, about the Children's Hospital and the no confidence vote and Fianna Fáil is going to abstain. I'm not looking for a vote of no confidence in the minister because I want a children's hospital but not on the current site, says Carmel. I think it has been madness to put it there. And I think what Fina Fáil should do is put down their own motion but one of confidence in this project on this site. She feels that Simon Harris and Leo Varadkar need to change the attitude on this project and not be penalising other hospitals because of the money that's going to be spent on this one because she believes that that is what's going to happen, that Drogheda, Our Lady of Lourdes will get no money, Navim will get no money, that all hospitals nationwide will suffer and she feels that it's still possible to save money to go out to a Greenfield hospital that these problems have escalated in a short period of time that money spent on St James's will not be wasted because it can still go for parking, for staff at the hospital. And she feels the Fianna are hiding behind Brexit, hiding behind bringing down the government and doing us no favours.
5: Okay, strong thoughts there.
4: Yes, another listener, John from Navin, says, are we going to pay for the hospital like we did for Anglo-Irish Bank, Michael? Is it going to be down to the ordinary taxpayers that will have to pay more tax, down to the pensioners and the unemployed? Are we the ones that are going to be hit? I think they should stop building it and re-tender. A a, a tweet from Richard in response to Thomas Byrne saying that. A lot
0: can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves.
4: Fianna Fáil were kept in the dark of the hospital project in the run-up to the budget and that Fianna, Fianna Gael will answer for that at the next election. Richard says, but instead of doing something it, you are keeping this government in power to make more bad decisions and will abstain in the vote of no confidence. Another listener, Chris, says this has happened on Fianna Fáil's watch as well. You have pulled the plug. At, you could have pulled the plug at any time. Mm. Uh, Mihal has the option to take, had the option to take turns at being Taoiseach, but declined.
5: Well, yeah. Uh, Thomas Byrne says they don't have the option at the moment because of uh, the challenges uh, that we face as a result of Brexit on the twenty ninth of March. But he says, "Watch that space."
4: Yes. Well, John from West Dublin was also listening in, and he says that he cannot believe that Fianna Fáil are going to abstain and that he's absolutely disgusted with the way they're behaving. He says that uh, they are blaming Brexit that they don't want to destabilise the government. But if a minister is not fit for the job, which I believe the current minister isn't, and if Fianna Fáil don't have confidence in him, well then they should vote that way. The only one that would be blamed for calling an election is Mr. Varadkar because of his minister.
5: Oh, right, uh, well hold those comments for a moment uh, and turn our attention uh, to illegal dumping and the burning of rubbish which is reported on in the Irish Examiner today because uh, the National Environmental Complaints Line dealt with more than 1,200 calls in relation to these issues last year. Noel Baker, senior reporter with the Irish Examiner is on the line to tell us more and a uh, very good morning to you Noel and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, a lot of noise pollution and illegal dumping for that matter.
1: Yeah, um, this is the 24-hour low-call number that people can ring from around the country. Uh, It's operated under the auspices of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. So it's been running for a number of years. Now, I have to say that the overall trend has fluctuated in recent years, but it is down last year compared to the previous year. But you're still receiving a lot of calls, and one assumes, given that more people ring the local authorities in these cases, in this helpline, that these are kind of out-of-hours calls predominantly. So you had a total of 1,606 calls to the uh, National Environmental Complaints Line last year, as I said, down slightly compared to the previous year. But the vast majority of those are to do with waste and illegal dumping, so more than 1,000. And then the remainder then are filled out by air and odour uh, pollution concerns. There was 235 of those. 93 in relation to noise pollution and then 271 in relation to other environmental
5: concerns. And it sounds like a a lot of complaints, but as you say, it pales into comparison in terms of the amount of complaints that local authorities or county councils would receive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're normally in the tens of thousands, really, across the country when you add them all together. And um, as we know, I'm sure Loud is no different. There's different types of pollution that happen in different types of spots with great regularity. I think the the thing we can say about the NECL numbers is that uh, I got a spreadsheet of a kind of a breakdown by county and by date for the last number of years, I think the last three years from the start of 2016. So you can actually see the reports as they're coming in. And predominantly, it is bits of litter, uh, dumping of, of litter of fewer than 20 bags, right, and there would right. be quite a considerable proportion that would be dumping of litter of more than more than 20 bags. You'd have about 130-odd abandoned cars across the country that would have been reported to this number at the same time, and then you have instances then of backyard burning and so on. But mm-hmm. as we also know, local authorities are receiving the calls, but in many cases they also have special local tailored responses Such as in Wicklow, for example, the Pure Project, different initiatives that kind of target the dumping in different parts of the country, beauty spots and so on.
5: Abandoned cars are a relatively new phenomenon and 130 of them, I think, over the last three years. But I gather that to some degree that's to do with how the country has been changing as well and the amount of people who come to live here and how sometimes people go home to their home country and abandon a car somewhere along the way.
1: Well, I'm I'm not sure whether, uh, for the exact reasons as to how the cars are are being dumped, but I do remember more than 10 years ago talking to a representative of Wicklow County Council, and it was a problem for them at that time. Mm. And going through the figures, there's no doubt that Wicklow, beautiful county Mm. and all as it is, I think it's because of its proximity, really, to the the metropolis of Dublin. You're not going to take your car and dump it at the end of your own road. Mm. you know, And, And the same probably goes for other forms of... Tipping or uh, dumping of, let's say, household or domestic appliances or things like that, you're probably going to stick it in your van or your car and pedal off to the Wicklow Mountains where there's nobody around and then chuck it out. Which is unfortunately the case it would seem, because Wicklow has by far and away the highest number of complaints to be dealt with via the National Environmental Complaints Line. And I don't have the figures, but I'm pretty sure that the local authority there is also pretty much besieged by by uh, this kind of activity. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a problem then. I guess it's still a problem now. To be fair, it's maybe less of a problem because, if, if I remember correctly, I think certain measures were brought in in relation to penalties or sanctions for people who might be found to have dumped a car. Mm. And I guess these days as well, and maybe it's harder to just kind of pick up um, a, a kind of a, a random car off, off uh, let's say, uh, an unofficial source and drive it around for a while, you know, Um because uh, the traffic core and uh, vigilance about road safety mm. and so on is so heightened. Um, but yes, it's absolutely still an issue.
5: All right. Uh, what about burning rubbish? Uh, that's obviously an issue.
1: Yeah, that's that's an issue as well. I mean, backyard burning and so on. I mean, there have been, um, I suppose, local controversies in different parts of the country in recent times over bin charges and how much it's actually costing you to have your uh, rubbish dealt with uh, by a local authority or by uh, a waste uh, recovery provider or something like that. And, I mean, I guess in some cases, people just think the easy thing to do is for me just to build a big bonfire in the garden or something and set a match to it. The problem with that is, of course, is that if you're caught, it's a big problem. You shouldn't be doing it. Um, But, I mean, again, I have to stress, while the local authority figures, I don't have them to hand, I'm sure they're still very considerable. The numbers here are going down. And last year, you might recall that the then minister, uh, Dennis Nocton, Uh, made this announcement about the use of drones and how they were going to provide more funding to local authority for drones to be able to, you know, fly up, spot people dumping illegally, target particular areas so that it might act as a deterrent, that kind of thing. We've got more CCTV in different parts of the country. So maybe it's just a case that the larger scale dumping is being tackled now more head on than it was in the past Unfortunately, when it comes to fly tipping, we've all seen it. You're driving along of a Sunday and suddenly you see a load of bags scattered across the, the side of the road. That might be harder to deal with in the longer term, but at least more
5: scale. Okay. Well, if people do want to report dumping or noise uh, uh, of uh, the sort we've been discussing, uh, that number is eighteen fifty three six five one two one. And as you report today, three and a half thousand people have made complaints over the course of uh, the past four years. Noel, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Noel Baker, senior reporter with the Irish Examiner. Now let's go back uh, to some more of uh, the calls that have been coming to us, Marie.
4: One from Joanne, Michael, just in relation to your interview there with Emma Coffey, Councillor Emma Coffey, regarding the proposal to lead County Council for safe zones around abortion service providers. Well, Joanne thinks it should not be up to lead County Council. That is another example of the Minister for Health and this government failing women, that the government need to bring in safe zones around clinics and hospitals to protect women all over the country. OK. Uh, Frank phoned in, wanted to make a comment in relation to yesterday's discussion with the local councillors on the proposals for the beaches in Meath. And he had a couple of points to make. Firstly, he believes that dogs should only be allowed on beaches if they're on Leeds. He says there was always cars on Beddystown beaches and wonders about the pollution in relation to this. He says it was very easy over the years to blame farmers for pollution into the sea. But also, what about the raw uh, sewage waste that's coming from the massive number of houses in the area? And he feels that pet owners need to clean up after the dogs, and that means that there needs to be more litter wardens on the beach.
5: Mm, Yeah, I think some dogs need to clean up after their owners as well.
4: (laughs) So Mm. I'll just go for one more on that topic. Rosaline says, it is a beautiful beach, but where can you park in Betty's town, Michael? There is nowhere to park, and I personally think they should be discussing putting toilets on the beach or close by.
5: All right, good idea. Thanks uh, for sharing it with us and thanks to everybody who has been in touch. If you'd like to add to what's been said, our telephone number is 1850 715 958.
3: Michael Reed on
5: LMFM. Now, if you leave a tip in a restaurant or you tip a barman or leave some money for a chambermaid or whatever the case may be, you may be surprised to learn that one third of all tips are stolen. They're taken by the employers even though they've been left for employees. This is according to Sinn Féin, which is highlighting research, it says, that was produced in 2017 and is asking for support at committee stage. uh, to a bill which would make sure that employees get the tips that are are left for them. Senator Paul Gavin joins us now and a very good morning and thanks uh, for coming back to us on this. Uh, This is an issue that people feel quite strongly about uh, and you're hoping uh, that this legislation might be introduced before the summer recess.
2: Yes, thank you Michael for having us on the show first of all, having this issue on the show I should say. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very simple bill. Uh, there is a problem out there. Uh, we know that. Uh, I've heard some horror stories week in, week out since this bill is introduced of people not getting the tips that they rightfully deserve. So our bill will simply do two things. It will give a legal right of ownership to employees for the tips that they earn. And secondly, it will require restaurants and hotels to display their tipping policy, a simple couple of lines on the menu explaining the percentage that's taken and how it's distributed to staff. So I'm asking for, for full support from across the political spectrum. This really should be a non-contentious item and it will help to protect workers who are already vulnerable and typically on precarious work and low pay.
5: Do people generally tip, do you think?
2: I think most people do. Uh, but again, I would stress that this bill doesn't require people to tip. It simply states that where tips are made, uh, that they legally belong to the staff. And um, that's that's a real uh, area that needs to be fixed, because at the minute, uh, if an employer uh, it says, you know, we've had a slow night. I'm not going to pass the tips back. And that happens, by the way. Um, that on, on
5: occasion, they will g- allow the people, to ke- the staff to keep the tips, and on, on other occasions, they don't?
2: Oh, yeah. No, that's, I mean, oh. some of the oh. examples, and I, I might h- highlight a couple to you, Michael. Yeah. Mean, that, mm-hmm. That's one. Listen, we've had a slow night, so we can't pass on the tips. Uh, a second one is, well, there's five euros missing from the till, so I'm holding the tips back from everyone. Uh, one I heard last week, really horrific one, from a very prominent restaurant in the west of Ireland, that offers free Irish coffees to tourists coming in on the tourist trail. Uh, the tourists typically tip very generously, and the staff never see the tips because the tips are used to buy the whiskey for those free
5: Irish coffees. Hmm. So effectively, they're buying the Irish coffees to themselves.
2: I- I- exactly, exactly. The other hmm. uh, one that's particularly common is where the employer decides to hold on to the tips until the end of the year. Uh, and the problem there is, as you know, there'll be a fairly high degree of turnover in the restaurant trade. It's typical: mm. a lot of uh, part-time workers, a lot of students working. Um, and if they give up work, you know, after the summer or before Christmas, they never see any of the tips that have been given to them over the course of the year. That's a particularly common mm. example. And
5: what about somebody so, who starts working in December? Do they get uh, the twelve months' worth of tips?
2: No, <laughs> no If only to you, no. Know, they'll get they'll get apportioned mm. uh, out uh, for the, for the one month. So, I mean, in reality, and let's call it what it is, Michael, it's wage test. That's what's going on. Let me stress, by the way, that that most employers don't do that. Two out of three employers do pay the tips, do act honorably, and they have nothing to fear from our bill whatsoever. But, you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest, what's really struck me is the amount of parents who've been ringing our office because they have sons or daughters working their way through college or university, and they have these jobs at weekends or during the summer, and it's all too common a practice that they never see the tips that are left
5: for them what about a, a service charge do people uh, ever get paid any of that
2: no that, to be fair again two 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 out of three employers do pay that just to be clear mm. um but we also know that service charges and particularly charges taken on credit cards at the moment are less likely to be passed on to staff uh that's been a big issue with some of the big chains in britain mm. and indeed in ireland and was a very famous example i won't name them uh in dublin just before christmas a very high profile restaurant uh, ...that held onto the tips and only paid a percentage back to the staff... And, 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 ...and it reached a stage where they actually put down a law... ...preventing the staff from taking cash uh, payment in the restaurants. Uh, now that's the kind of extremes that are out there... Uh, ...and I think this simple bill will uh, counteract that... ...will give these workers who need protection... ...give them the protection they deserve... ...and that's why I'm asking for Fila Fall and Senegal Senators in particular... Uh, ...to come out again and support this bill. Um, I think we can get it through the chamber quickly and then hopefully get it through it all in time for this summer's tourist season.
5: Hmm. Uh, and when you say uh, that some employers only pay a percentage of uh, the tips uh, that are left for staff, what percentage are you talking about, or does it vary? Oh, it,
2: it, it varies. The, the one hmm. that I'm referring to basically held on to half. Um, and, you know, these are people working on minimum wage, typically, or only just above. Hmm. the The tips make the difference often between whether they can make that week's rent or not, uh, whether they can put enough food on the table or pay for college books or so on and so forth. So it, it does make a, a big difference. We, we know that the, that the workers in the trade aren't paid particularly well. We know it's a, cu- a tough competitive trade. But these tips, they must go to the workers. And, you know, we must pass this simple law to, to make sure that wage theft doesn't happen in this particular way.
5: Uh, and... Under this legislation, what would it mean uh, if I left a a tip for you? Would that mean that you have to get that tip, or could the restaurant, let's say, have a a policy in place whereby it would be shared out amongst all of the staff, the kitchen staff who aren't front of house and that type of thing?
2: Yes, no, it could. So it can be paid in in both ways, and and basically what our bill stipulates is, A, that it legally belongs to the employees, and B, that the minister can introduce regulations simply to to, to outline what a a sharing scheme, a trunk scheme as it's called, Uh, should look like um, so so again it will be up to the workers themselves in each establishment to decide whether it's shared between them or whether it's paid individually uh, but the key point is that they do they would do ensure under this bill that they get the tips
5: and if they don't
2: if they don't they'll have redress for the first time uh, under the workplace relations commission they can simple, take a simple uh, claim under the amended minimum uh, wages act to, to get the tips back and that's been a real frustration for me. My previous life was as a trade union official, mm. all too often representing uh, rep- re- restaurant staff, and all too often they'd highlight the tips they didn't get. And unfortunately, the adjudicator would say, well, look, there's nothing I can do there because these tips aren't legally yours. And that's the big, that's the big issue that we need to fix. Uh, a simple change to, to give them legal ownership will mean that, you know, if, if they lose their job, if, if they feel that they've been unfairly treated, they can take a simple case. It won't cost them money and they will get mm. their tips back once they can, they can produce evidence in terms of
5: what's been happening. Uh, just to uh, explain that, how is it not legally the property of the person you've left the money for? I mean, if I leave cash on the table, if I pay my bill and I leave cash on the table for whoever was serving me, how is it not legally theirs?
2: It's not covered under current legislation. Uh, mm. This is shocking, but it's, it, it's absolutely true. And this is why, unfortunately, a minority of employers, but a significant minority, mm do hold on to the tips legally there's no redress for the employee at the moment and this is this was highlighted to me a number of years ago so when i was lucky enough to get into the Shannon, one of the first things i wanted to do was was try and tackle this my party Sinn fein have been fully supported the Shannon team mm. in particular are very passionate about this issue uh, and in at the second stage thankfully uh, after some uh, slight hesitation we got full support across the political spectrum and i'm hoping we'll get the same tomorrow It's a simple Mm -hmm. bill, but it will make a decent difference for these people.
5: Has the employer got a a legal basis for arguing that the money belongs to them, though? I mean, if I leave cash on the table for Paul Gavin, Mm. uh, does it not belong to Paul Gavin?
2: Uh, legally, no. Not as things stand. And I know that, that that's shocking, but that, that is the, the legal situation. Like, I've entered uh, into
5: a contract of sorts with the restaurant uh, where I've ordered food at the price advertised. The bill comes, I pay the bill, that's settled. Uh, and then I leave money on top of that, cash, for mm-hmm. whoever is serving. Surely that belongs to them. I can't understand the legal basis against that argument.
2: The, the moral case is absolutely clear. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, that money isn't covered under current law in terms of the transaction. Uh, either in cash or in credit card. Uh And it's a problem. And, of course, it's, it's becoming a bigger problem because uh, we're m- moving to a transaction, you know, a cashless society. Uh, so most mm. tips are, in the future are going to be paid on these cards. And um, as we know, there's been a whole series of issues from some of the big uh, chains of restaurants who are here as well. Again, I won't name them. Um, who hold on to a percentage of that credit card uh, tip when, of course, all of it should be going to the workers.
5: And you call it wage theft. In other words... Uh, that's what it is. That's,
2: that's, let's be clear about that because, as you've rightly pointed out, mm. Michael, you know, the tip's been left for the staff. Mm. So it should go to the staff. Uh, but, unfortunately, all too often... And Look, I, I, I may, maybe I'll be a little brave here, but I predict you'll get calls in on the back of this telling you your own horror stories because there isn't a week that goes by that I haven't got horror stories uh, from staff. And, again, typically young staff... People trying to work their way uh, into the world and and having their money taken from them. Not in every occasion, as I say, but one in three, it's significant and it doesn't need to be this way.
5: Uh, And... Uh, It is a a way of paying below what you are required to pay by national legislation, by employment law. And we hear of uh, people working 50 hours and getting paid 40 uh, at the national minimum wage. Uh, But you may be paid the national minimum wage for the amount of hours you're working, but they're taking your tips. So uh, effectively, they're getting cheap labour.
2: Well, well, you're absolutely right, and I mean, one of the things this, this survey that was undertaken last year across Galway it, it, it uncovered a whole series of poor practices. For example, workers not getting breaks. The example you've given there of having to work additional hours uh, for, for their money, uh, unpaid hours in effect. Um, people not getting even contracts and employment. Uh, people not getting paid the right the right rate of pay. People being not given the 11 hours of, of rest that you're entitled to by law between finishing one shift and starting another. All these things are all too common there is an awful lot more work to be done in the sector. Uh, this is just a start. But it's, I suppose we wanted to start somewhere practical where we can make a real difference to people in terms of their money.
5: All right. Well, we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us once again with this. Uh, that's uh, Sinn Féin Senator Paul Gavin. Michael,
3: Michael Reed on, on LMFM. FM.
5: A 10-year dispute between supervisors of CE schemes and government led to a one-day strike at six locations across uh, the country yesterday and a protest at uh, the Department of Finance. Over 1,200 supervisors and assistant uh, CE supervisors do not have access to occupational pension schemes. And we'll hear more about this from SIP2 now, Eddie Mullins, SIP2 Sector Organiser, on the line. And good morning to you, Eddie, and thanks for joining us uh, people may have uh, seen yesterday that there was a recommendation made in 2008 by the Labour Court that people would have access to these schemes, uh, but this isn't being implemented yet.
8: Yeah, that's that's correct. Um, in 2008, the Labour Court in July of 2008 issued a recommendation that the supervisors and assistant supervisors would have access to uh, an occupational pension scheme and that it would be funded by the state, basically and that hasn't happened in the interim.
5: Okay, Uh, we've a a lot of interference on the line, Eddie. Uh, We'll try and stay with you for a a moment longer. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if you can uh, improve on that, Uh, but uh, the uh, Labour Court recommendation obviously was a non-binding recommendation.
8: Yeah, Labour Court recommendations by virtue of their nature are non-binding. However, the the history of CE supervisors is that whenever a Labour Court recommendation came out the department would invariably uh, accept it, uh, acknowledge it, and uh, and implement it. Um, and this is the first time that that hasn't happened. Uh, you know, and and that's what frustrates our members. Um, if if there is a labour court and if it has to be adhered to by the union side, then why doesn't it have to be adhered to by the by the government side? Uh, they would invariably tell us that we should uh, uh, honour. Labour court recommendations and, and acceptance. We do, but now the ball is in their court and they must honour the, the Labour court recommendation in our opinion.
5: Well, it, it does seem odd in, in that sense uh, because we'd quite often hear of private companies uh, not accepting a recommendation made by the Labour court but this is essentially the state ignoring the industrial arms of the state.
8: That's exactly it. That's uh, unfortunately the case. Uh, and even as late as the last week or so, um, we have the government telling others that they must honour the Labour Court, they must accept the Labour Court rulings uh, and respect the Labour Court. This is showing clear disrespect to the Labour Court and, and its, uh, its role in industrial relations uh, on the part of the state.
5: Right, and around thirty or forty people retire every year. Uh, I think uh, it's reckoned that around two hundred and fifty people have retired uh, since that recommendation was made in two thousand and eight.
8: That that would be true. Uh, you know, that's that's a I guess I suppose or a rough estimate of what's happening um, on an annual basis, and that was all planned for um, following the labor court ruling in in. In 2008, there was a certain amount of work done by FOSS at the time, uh, and they provided a lot of information to the department. And that was the the, the estimate that it was 30, 40 roughly supervisors uh, would be retiring on an annual basis.
5: And costs as uh, around. That was
8: costed at the time as well. 3.6 million? 3.7 million uh, would have been the cost at the time on an annual basis.
5: Uh, and that, that would have been, the figure
8: it, they provided.
5: Increased in the interim, I'm sure
8: probably would have, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, we we have asked the department to do a costing of today's value in relation to that, and they haven't done so. Uh,
5: it seems uh, as though uh, there's no hope of a resolution uh, if uh, you're hoping uh, that uh, the government uh, will uh, decide uh, to heed the recommendation of uh, the Labour Court, the Department of Finance, uh, saying yesterday uh, that uh, the supervisors aren't uh, employees of the state.
8: We we haven't been arguing that the supervisors are employees of the state but they are doing a job on behalf of the state uh, and as such they must have some uh, conscience in relation to that. Uh, The supervisors are doing a great job in communities around the country and if that work wasn't being done by the supervisors then the state would have to do the work in some other fashion. So they're doing it on behalf of the state. And really, it it is up to the government at this stage to acknowledge that work uh, in in the only way possible or in the best way possible.
5: OK, but to acknowledge that uh, the department has outlined its position and it puts you in a a very awkward position uh, and that it seems as though uh, there's no hope of a breakthrough as things stand
8: that uh, there was commitments given by by governments in the past, uh, by the last government, to resolve this issue. Uh, and and there was a vote in the Dáil last year that this matter should be resolved uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, and that was carried by the majority uh, in the Dáil. So, you know, uh, there, there are elections coming up. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, people will be... Uh, councillors uh, and TDs will be asked what is their position in relation to this. Do they acknowledge that the doll has a role uh, or not? Um, that's a question for, for, for the politicians okay. and aspiring
5: politicians. Okay, Uh, uh, too much interference, I I think, on the line, Eddie, uh, to continue. I'll have to uh, leave it there. Uh, Apologies for that, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Eddie Mullins is uh, CIP2 Sector Organiser.
3: Michael Reed on LMFM.
5: All right, well, the poor quality of uh, the telephone line there gives us uh, the opportunity to go back to our phone lines and what you've been saying to us on uh, the phones and indeed in the text messages. Uh, Marie, you've got uh, more comments to share with I us. I do.
4: We've been very busy, Michael. Lots coming in in relation to your interview with Thomas Byrne. Fianna Fáil are making fools of themselves and the nation. What is Thomas Byrne harping on about Fine Gael PR? Sure, used to have the greatest PR machine ever when in government. Remember the Galway tent and all of that. And now Fianna Fáil is supporting Fine and carrying on the same kind of spin. For Fianna Fáil to avoid a no-confidence vote in Harris on the hospital issue is a complete denial of the role as opposition and using Brexit and confidence and supply agreement as an excuse I feel is irresponsible. Fianna Fáil do not deserve to ever be in power again when they cannot act responsibly in opposition. And that's an email from Danny.
5: All right. Well, in opposition or in government, uh, I think that there is probably uh, an argument that there should be uh, a government in office uh, if uh, there is uh, to be a no-deal Brexit. And uh, I think uh, that, at least to some degree, that's the position that Fianna Fáil is taking.
4: A tweet from Sean in response to Thomas Burns' reference to the Fine Gael debacle saying that it's a debacle The Fianna Fáil party has been 100% complicit in and continues to be a part of. Mm,
5: so... Well. I'm not sure that that's true. In fact, uh, it would appear untrue uh, from uh, the reports uh, this morning that there was a concerted effort uh, to keep stum about all of this and uh, people were asked to sign this confidentiality agreement and not to tell anybody who didn't need to know. It was on a, a need-to-know basis and it would seem as though uh, whatever about uh, the ministers need to, to know or the boards need to know that it wasn't necessary for Fianna Fáil to know and it wasn't necessary for the people of Ireland who are now facing this bill of one point four, one point seven, two billion, whatever it is, uh, to uh, fund uh, for the construction of the children's hospital.
4: Deborah from a phoned in, listening to your interview with Thomas Byrne, and I do agree with the point he's making, Michael, in relation to Brexit and that Fianna Fáil can't really pull the plug on this government with all the uncertainty around at the moment, I really don't believe it would be good for the country to have an election. I'm not generally a Fianna Fáil supporter, but if you speak to any business person like myself, what's occupying all our minds at the moment is, is Brexit and how we are going to be affected if there is a no deal.
5: Yeah, well, it's uh, certainly uh, an issue of importance and of greater importance. I'm sure that there's others who would argue that uh, you could continue in government uh, but ask the Minister to step aside under the circumstances.
4: Martin from Navin. Fianna Fáil want to be in government after the next general election. Thomas Byrne says well they need to get out of bed with Fine Gael then if they have any hope of that. They are coming across as one party now I feel that Fianna Fáil is losing its own identity and Martin says he's traditionally a Fianna Fáil's porter.
5: Alright uh, thanks for that Martin thanks to everybody who has been in touch we'll come back to some more of those comments I hope in a couple of minutes time but right now it's time as is as usual around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda you're investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda, Paul Connolly of Dundalk Station joins us for the report this week and we begin with uh, an appeal. In fact, it's a renewed appeal for information about a robbery that occurred on New Year's Eve.
0: That's right. Good morning, Michael. First thing this morning is a renewed appeal for witnesses in relation to a robbery from a person which occurred on Thursday last, or Thursday the 31st of January in Dundalk at 6.50pm. It happened on the Rampart Lane in Dundalk. Now, the injured party was walking home from work when he was approached by two males in their early to mid-twenties. The injured party was punched twice into the face and forced to hand over his wallet. Now, these two males then walked in the direction of the Marshall shopping centre in Dundalk. Now a car pulled up at the time and inquired in relation to the IP's um, well-being. So they witnessed the incident. So we're just appealing to that person that that pulled up um, to contact Gardy, or indeed if if this this person mm-hmm. may have said something to friends or family.
5: That's the the IP being the injured person. In, injured, partner, yeah, 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 sorry, uh, injured person, yeah. Uh, sorry, injured person. And I think I may have uh, said New Year's Eve. This was three weeks ago, on the thirty-first of January. Thirty-first yeah. of January, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and. Mm.
0: Thursday the thirty first of January in the dock at six fifty p.m. Hmm. Yeah, so this this witness pulled up in a car to to check on the injured party's well-being. So just uh, if the if this witness could contact Guardian Dundalk in relation to what they've seen.
5: Okay, investigations ongoing into the latest petrol bomb attack in Drogheda. This happened on Wednesday in a house on Scarlet Street.
0: That's right, Michael. A house was petrol bombed on Scarlet Street in Drogheda here on Wednesday last, the 13th of February, at 8.45pm. Uh, a petrol bomb was thrown through the front sitting room window of the house, and the house set on fire. Now, there was a, one male in the house at the time, but received no injuries. So, again, just appealing to anybody that was in round the Scarlet Street area of Drogheda last Wednesday, if they seen anything um, in relation to this incident, or indeed seen someone running away from the area. like As, as we all know, it's a it's a very serious incident, and thankfully there's no injury or loss of life at this this time.
5: Okay, to Dundalk and uh, a burglary uh, to report on next. Uh, Some items taken from a shed at Knockbridge.
0: Yeah, there's a burglary to a storage shed at Mill Park in Knockbridge, just outside Dundalk. Now, it happened between Tuesday and Wednesday last the 12th and 13th of February, so the shed was locked up at 6pm on Tuesday and the owners returned Wednesday morning to find it broken into. The lock had been removed and entry gained into the shed. Now, a large amount of sofa suites were stolen from the shed, so to remove these sofa suites, it would have taken uh lorries or trucks to remove to remove these these suites and they would have been there for a substantial amount of time a couple of hours um loading these these suites up so anyone in around the knockbridge area, if they noticed any unusual activity in around the sheds or indeed noticed trucks driving away um contact guardian Dundalk.
5: or if you've been offered to the suites or for that. that's
0: that's <laughs> it if you're if you're offered anything at a cut down price or a knock down price it's, too good to be true and if someone comes to you in a car park or comes to your front door offering you something at a knockdown
5: price we all know exactly where it came from alright well there's no such thing as a free lunch etc <laughs> uh, let's go to Rathoath uh, Gardaí are investigating a break into a house there
0: yeah there's a break into a house at Staple Chase Wood in Rathoath on Thursday last the 14th of February it happened overnight between 12.30am and 6am owner woke up to find that the locked the back door um had been forced to open. The lock had been popped on the door, and entry gained. Now the car keys, the two vehicles were taken, and the cars stolen. Um, the cars were: one was a silver Audi A6, registration 132D1420, and the second vehicle was a white Volkswagen Tiguan Jeep, 182MH397. Now these vehicles still haven't been located. Um, anyone in around the Rathoath area last Thursday morning or during the night? If they notice these vehicles have been driven away, or indeed, in the meantime, if someone has noticed these vehicles parked up somewhere, contact Gardaí at Rathoath.
5: Yeah, bad enough to realise you've been broken into, but uh, to realise then that the cars are gone from outside the door, not nice at all. Uh, We'll finish up uh, this week uh, in Rathoath, and uh, this time it's a bogus caller to a house on the Ferry House Road.
0: That's right, this incident occurred at Ferryhush Road in Rathoth again last Thursday the 14th of February during the day. An incident in which money was obtained under false pretenses. A man called to the house of an elderly gentleman and agreed to carry out gardening work for this for this man. Now money was handed over before the work was carried out and surprise, surprise, the work was never done. Now this this man um, was driving a white van, that's all we have. But I'm sure this, this individual called to a number of houses on the day so anyone in the in Rathoth area, if this man did call to your house um, offering you offering to do work or to, to do maintenance in around the house, if you've a better description for us or maybe a registration of the van, mm. and just, just um, say to your listeners, Michael, that if they do need work carried out at their house, whether it's garden, work, maintenance or painting, Ask a friend or a family member to recommend someone that they can trust, and mm. that, that you know the work
5: will be done properly, and that you can say no to somebody at all. Oh, door. exactly. There's yeah. no, no reason you yeah. have to
0: take these people up on their mm. their offers, and just be wary. Of anyone coming to your front door offering you
5: offering to do anything for you. All right, we'll leave there. Garda, Paul Connolly of Dundalk Garda Station and we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, let's go back uh, to the phones and some more of the comments that have been coming to us. Uh, what else have you got for us there today? So Denise
4: was listening into your interview with Councillor Emma Coffey on the safe zones and she says, well done to her for do, trying to do what the government has so far failed to do for women thats and that is to offer Some sort of protection when you decide for whatever reason that you have to have an abortion. She says there is no way that women should be greeted by protesters who, incidentally, Michael, don't have an idea why you might be there. She says it's nothing else but intimidation and not acceptable. And hopefully, Loud County Council will lead the way on this. Jessica also got in touch and said, listening to your interview with Councillor Coffey, you have to wonder, Michael, why Simon Harris didn't think of this at the time when this legislation was going through. Uh, that women should not have to uh, be subjected to this and that it seems that some people have forgotten that the fight has been lost.
5: I don't think it's true to say that the minister didn't think of it. The minister did think about it and indeed I remember the minister speaking about it before the referendum was held and he spoke about introducing uh, legislation uh, to exclude certain parts uh, uh, for from protest uh, close uh, to uh, medical centres and abortion service providers mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But he, he said that it would take some time to introduce uh, the legislation. Perhaps it's taking longer than the minister envisaged at the time. But I think what the minister has been saying is that it would have resulted in a delay in the legislation. We're hearing now that it could be the autumn or the end of the year or perhaps into next year before it's possible to introduce legislation of this sort. And it is fairly uh, complicated stuff uh, because there's a balance of rights as we've been hearing Uh, but uh, I suppose the argument is uh, should the legislation have been introduced without that protection in place for women Uh, and if not would it have been right to delay the abortion legislation and perhaps it it wouldn't Mm. have been possible to provide abortion services until maybe next year if that was the case.
4: Moving from that Then to the beach management plan because I've loads on that. And James phoned in. He says, Michael, just want to comment about dogs on the beach and whether they should be on or off leads. A friend of mine from Laytown was walking on the beach a couple of months ago. A dog ran up, bit him on the hand, had to be taken to hospital. He is 86 years of age, left him bleeding, had to get seven stitches. Mm. So he says... They should be on leads if they are mm. on beaches. No,
5: that's unbelievable, it really is, yeah. And Terrible. he says, mm. you,
4: su- you suggested that maybe if people didn't want to go to Betty's tent to go down and park at Mornington. Michael, have you been in Mornington lately? It's absolutely diabolical there with the amount of dumping that's going on. Mm. It's just not being controlled.
5: What sort of people are we?
4: I don't know. Mm. Uh, another listener, Phyllis text in and Phyllis says that she agrees with a lot of what Councillor Paddy Mead said yesterday she says if cars are removed from the beach in Beddystown where will families go and she says there's no mention of Mornington which extends to the main entrance of Beddystown she says the entrance to the beach in Mornington is a disgrace erosion by the elements is extensive why not spend money to save Mornington's gold coast. Not many realise that Mornington extends to the main entrance of Bettystown. A Great ame- amenity it is, but it's time to pre- spend money to preserve our beaches. Okay. Dogs should be banned off the beaches, says Jim, because owners won't clean up, whether they're on Leeds or not on Leeds. He says that on Tara Hill people don't use a uh, their bags and those who do use the bags then throw the bags into the hedges. So what does that say about them Michael? No respect for other people or for the environment.
5: Yeah well I think that's probably what it does say about them Uh, but we'll make that the final word and uh, thanks uh, for that call and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. That's where we have to leave you though because our time has run out on us once again. Remember before we go there'll be a a podcast of today's programme available on our website LMF this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the Control Tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.
1: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.